But we ask your blessings upon them and our missionaries all around this world. We pray, Father, for those that we've been praying for in our guide this week. Uh, Lord, we just pray that each and every one of their stories have touched our hearts, that we would always continue to remember them even beyond this week, and that we would remember the Browns beyond this week also. Father, we just pray for uh, your spirit to be outpoured upon them as they are meeting uh, today too. Father, we pray that you will uh, bless them as they come to worship you, as they seek to reach those who are lost. And I pray that you'll continue to open up opportunities for them to share the gospel with people like Olga, uh, who we've read about in the story there from them. So bless them, Lord, and bless all of our missionaries. But Lord, as we pray for our missionaries, we know that we not only want to pray for them, uh, we can support them also through our financial giving. Uh, as this Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to support those international missionaries, and this offering goes 100% uh, to the field there. And so, Father, we just pray that you would uh, lay upon our hearts what we might give towards that goal of 7,200. And, Father, we pray that we'll be faithful to give all that you would have us to give and then to go as you give us opportunities to be able to go. So bless us this morning as we come to worship you. Thank you for all that you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for those who are present here this morning. We know they're not here by accident. You have brought them here by your divine appointment. So bless us this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Uh, let me just encourage you, especially if you're at home there uh, on our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com, uh, go to the far right-hand side there, click the Give Online tab. You can do your online giving there for the regular offering as well as for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And you in person can do those in your offering envelopes that are in the pews in front of you. And then the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering ones, uh, they're in the window sills that you can grab those and give those. Uh, just a couple of quick things that I need to mention. Uh, just to thank those who have uh, who went with us yesterday. We had 14 that we took, eight from our church, six from uh, College Street Baptist who went to the Operation Christmas Child uh, Shoebox Processing Center down in Atlanta. I had a great trip down there. Uh, in the time we were there, we did almost 50,000 uh, shoeboxes. The total for that for last night was 92,000. So when we came in, it was a little over 40,000 uh, 40, there. And so we just praise the Lord for that opportunity and for those who went uh, back on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So thank you for being willing to go. We've also got some upcoming things. Our adult choir is going to be singing their Christmas program with the kids uh, on next Sunday night. So I want to encourage you to come out for that at our regular worship time at 6 o'clock. Uh, but because of that, we're also going to be having children's choir practice this afternoon here at 5. So be sure to be here. And then there's a couple of solo practices that will be at that time uh, also. So just wanted to remind you of that. And then I've got some little cards here. There are a few over here to my right uh, on the stage. Just want to encourage you to pick up one of these, uh, share with others. Uh, this is an awesome group that's going to be coming uh, to share with us on December the 20th. It's on a Tuesday, so it's not one of our regular worship service times, but we won't be having service on that Wednesday on the 21st. So we want to encourage you to come out at 630. Uh, this group is called Chosen Road. Uh, their, their most recent album that they have released, an Appalachian and Christmas uh, is number one on the Billboard charts. Uh, they are uh, on several shows this past week in Nashville uh, and even the week before. Uh, they are nationally known. They work with our North American Mission Board, also with some of our church planner uh, groups. And so you come out, you're going to be wonderfully blessed. Uh, look them up on YouTube. You might want to hear some of their music uh, before you come, uh, but you'll be wonderfully blessed for that. So mark that on your calendar, December 20th, 6.30 p.m. Brother Mike. Join us now as we sing number uh, hymn 91 in, in your hymnal. 
Silent Night, Holy Night. You can remain seated for this one, but uh, quiet. Miss Pat. <laughs> Now we have a special treat. We have a grandson and a grandfather that's going to lead us in some special music. So now, uh, Nathan Miller, Mark Smith, come lead us, please. Pray for all.
Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thanks for sharing that. What a talented, talented young man. And now, as we prepare for the children's, uh, for the next hymn, children's church will be gathering over here on the piano side. So uh, let's all stand and sing uh, Gentle Mary, Later Child, hymn number 101. Ms. Pat. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, as we continue our walk through the life of Jesus. As you remember, we have uh, went back to the birth of Christ, and so we actually went way back beyond that, even to the promise that was given in uh, Micah uh, last Sunday. And so today we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through verse 55. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Mary, Did You Know? Each one of these sermons uh, that I'll be preaching this Christmas season will be I have some uh, Christmas carol, some Christmas song uh, associated with it, and you'll understand as we get into this passage uh, this morning. So we're just going to begin with verse 5 and verse 6. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, I pray that you will indeed, Lord, clear our hearts, clear our minds, and Lord, may we hear the small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning. Lord, if we are here and we don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior, or maybe we're watching online, may you speak your truth into our hearts, and may we come to that place, Lord, to surrender our lives to you in confession and repentance of our sins. And Father, I pray that even as believers here this morning, maybe there are some things we'll realize from uh, the application here of Mary's life uh, that maybe we need to also repent of in our own lives, Lord, that especially during this time of the year and as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, Father, I pray that you would use this passage uh, to stir our hearts, to stir our souls uh, of the anticipation and the hope of the celebration of that day. And we ask your blessings on your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. I'm not going to try to sing the song this morning because <laughs> we uh, want to get right into the text as much as possible. But I wanted to share with you the words for Mary, did you know? And for you, to ask you to think about what you think when you hear these words. Here are the words, Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God? Mary, did you know the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the dead, they will live again. The lame will leap and the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb. This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Oh, Mary, did you know? Mark Lowry, uh, who sang with the Gaither Vocal Band, uh, wrote the lyrics to that song uh, that came to him while he was working on a Christmas program in 1984, he recalled the conversation that he had with his own mother about Jesus's birth, uh, where he said, if anyone on earth would knew for sure that Jesus was virgin born, Mary knew. Uh, he spent the next seven years tweaking the lyrics and thinking about what he would have asked Mary if he had met her. And that song has gone on to become one of the most beloved uh, modern Christmas songs that brings with it the anticipation uh, of, of Christmas, that expectation of Christmas. Well, that same anticipation and that same expectation, at least on the part of some, for the first and real Christmas that took place some 2,000 years ago, uh, brought that same kind of, of anticipation and expectation. So just imagine what it must have been.
been like for, for when every Jewish mother's child uh, would sit down to talk to their children and tell them the story that was even more wonderful and more awe-inspiring than any other story in history, than any story we could see even at Christmas time. It's a story that began with a promise and a prophecy that goes all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. As God was speaking to the serpent there, he said, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that promise, uh, Jewish kids and Jewish families, as they grew up for thousands of years, children in those Jewish homes were taught that one day God was going to send a Messiah. He was going to send a deliverer, someone who would uh, rule not just over them, but over the entire world. They even celebrated feasts and holidays uh, to keep uh, that in mind, uh, in the minds of the people, to keep their expectation and their anticipation up. But that was part of the problem. Because year after year, and decade after decade, and century after century, and millennia after millennia, there had been this anticipation. There had been this expectation of the coming Messiah. And the question would be asked, is this the year? Is this the month? Is this the week? Is this the day that the Messiah is going to come? And generations came, and generations went, and there was no Messiah. And for thousands of years, the Jewish people had been waiting like a, like parent, like a father waiting in the waiting room, uh, but still no baby. This is a message for all of us who, who go through tough times uh, that when we need God to come through, but it seems like as if either God is not all-knowing, uh, doesn't know what we need, or, or he's indifferent and doesn't care what we need, or he's not all-powerful and can't give us what we need. Well, I want you to see some things about this God uh, of Mary. I want you to see several things about Mary uh, that will help us answer this question, Mary, did you know? And hopefully, we'll help you to see some things that we can learn about Mary that can help us, even as believers, uh, to hold on to the promise of Christmas. The first thing I want you to see in these verses is Mary's God. Mary's God. Uh, when you look at verse 5 and verse 6 here, uh, you see here that it's in the days of Herod. Uh, as you look at those verses there, the first thing I want you to learn about Mary's God is to keep waiting because God is moving. Now, everybody around Mary and for generations, as we said, and for centuries thought, where is God? Why hasn't he brought about this Messiah? Much like today, as we're anticipating the second coming of Christ, people wonder, where is Christ? Where is he? When's he coming? Uh, when's that going to happen? And so they were waiting for that day for the Messiah uh, to come in the beginning there. As you read verse 5 and verse 6 there, if you had been reading that 2,000 years ago, you would have immediately been saddened by those words when Luke wrote, in the days of Herod. Because remember that Herod was a Roman king who had been installed by Caesar and all of Israel was under the dominating rule of the Roman Empire. The whole landscape was a very depressing uh, landscape for the Jewish people there. And what was even worse was that for 400 years, God had gone silent. Not a single word from a prophet of the Lord. Not a single miracle was seen 
by the hand of God. No angels who, who showed up to deliver some message. The glory days of, of David and Solomon, they were a distant memory. And the nation of Israel, think about this, they had changed hands in leadership over them a whopping 25 times. They had become the victims of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Greek, and now the Romans, and many people had just begun to give up on God. They felt that either God had forgotten the promise or God had forsaken his people. And into that culture and into that climate, in God's perfect timing, we read about this precious couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And you read some words there in verse 6 of high praise about them. Notice those words again in verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So in other words, they were good people. They were godly people. In today's standards, uh, they would have been considered great people. Uh, you just don't get any better than Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, and unlike many of their friends and many of their neighbors, they still believed God. They still believed him for the promise of the Messiah. And they both held out hope that God is not finished yet, at least with the nation. But they were another story. Look at verse 7 and what else we find out about them. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were in advanced years. Think about what's being said there. Consider the situation of, of, of their predicament, this, this blot, this blemish on the record of their life. They had no children. You have to understand that back in that day, if a woman didn't have a child, she was considered cursed by God. Many believed that she was barren uh, because of something maybe that she had done immorally wrong in her life. Even though we read, we read here that their lives were, were filled with holiness, their souls were filled with goodness, they were devoted, but they were discouraged and they were despondent and doubted what God was doing in their lives. And then you go on to read that Zechariah was faithfully fulfilling his duties as a priest twice a year uh, to go into the temple and, and serve there and to burn incense. And while he's in the temple serving the Lord, drop on down, if you will, to verse 11 and verse 12 and notice what happens here. And as he's doing his service there to the Lord, it says, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So don't miss the significance of this verse. Because remember, heaven had gone silent for 400 years. Not a word from God, not a work from God, not a witness from God for 400 years. More and more people were saying maybe God's dead, or, or the dream has died, or, or God's promise is, is empty. But then to the least likely of people... In the least likely of places, at least uh, the least likely of times here, this angel shows up to make an announcement that would set off a chain reaction that would change the world forever. Here's the point not to miss. The last thing that anybody expected to happen, especially for Zechariah, was for an angel of God to show up and not just to speak, but to tell of him something 
that was about to happen to Zechariah and Elizabeth that had long ago felt, um, felt that they, they felt it was absolutely impossible from a physiological perspective, much less a human viewpoint. But God, understand, is not bound by the physical principles or human perspective. Even though Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting for a child, just like Israel had been waiting for a Messiah, they're all about to learn that even when we're waiting and we feel like God is doing nothing, there's nothing happening in our life, when life seems hopeless, we need to know God is at work. God is always moving. God is never idle. He never takes a break. He doesn't go on vacation. Uh, he's always moving in your life and the lives of people all around this world, even when you don't know it. So you keep on waiting. Then also notice to keep working because God is listening. You're going to see this in verse 13 down through verse 20. Elizabeth and Zechariah had been praying for a long time for a child and were, were told repeatedly that they were both advanced in years. In other words, they were very old. In the Greek language, it gives the indication that they were somewhere in their 90s. If they married in their mid to early teens, as most couples did in that day, they had been praying somewhere in the vicinity of 60 to 70 years and still no child. So get the perspective here. They could have given up on God and say, why serve God? What good does it do to be righteous and holy and, and, and to fulfill my calling if God's not going to, to answer my prayer? What good is living for him anyway? And there are people who ask those same questions today. But give credit to this couple and especially to Zechariah because even though it appeared that God just flat out said no to this request for a child, God was still working and, and here, was, uh, here was Zechariah, he kept on serving, he kept on praying. And then the angel says this in verse 13, the angel says to him, do not be afraid Zechariah for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John now listen again to those five momentous words there your prayer has been heard it's in the past tense there it was heard is literally what the angel is saying he's saying to Zechariah and in effect to Elizabeth here too you've been praying all this time here's what I want you to know we've been God's been hearing your prayer Remember how long they had been praying, close to seven decades. And now this angel was telling them that every word was heard. You ever done that? You ever prayed and, and it seems like maybe heaven's covered by some steel curtain or, or, or you think maybe it's like taking a rubber ball and, and bouncing it off a concrete wall or you pray and it seems as if you're talking to yourself or, or, or the, the prayers just aren't getting any higher than the ceiling? Remember this. Not only is God working, God is listening. God hears your prayers. He hears everything. And so what this angel tells him should have been music to his ears. He tells him that they're going to have this son and they're to name that son John. Read on down through verse 14. He says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God 
and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord for the Lord a people prepared. So understand that God didn't just answer their prayer. He didn't just give them what they were praying for, what they were asking for. He gave them something better than, than what they could have ever asked for. He said that their son is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. He would never know a day when he didn't know the Spirit of God. And so all those years of sadness, uh, the angel says, are going to be replaced with a gladness that you could never manufacture yourself. And that baby is going to grow up and turn many in Israel back to the Lord. Understand this, you may give up on God, but God never gives up on you. Israel had turned their backs on God because they thought God had turned his back on them. God not only never turns his back on us, he is working and he is listening to bring us back to him in those times where we may doubt him and even disbelieve him. So how does Zechariah respond? Notice verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is in advanced years. Now, so get the picture here, uh, how he responds. Think about this. Here's an angel of God who's telling him he's going to have a baby, and he still doesn't believe it. Now, husbands, take note of what he says here. Because Zechariah may be a righteous man, uh, but, but notice this. He's not very smart here. Because he says this. He says, I'm old, but my wife, <laughs> she's, she's, I don't know about her. She's not going to be able to have no child. I'm old, but, and I'm up to it, but I, I don't know about my wife. Notice what he said there. He says that. He says, I'm an old man, but you know my wife over here, we're, we're in advanced years, but he's pointing her out. Don't ever do that to your wife. <laughs> and listen to the angel's response in verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. He basically says to Zechariah, I'm here representing God and he puts Zechariah in a timeout. He shuts his mouth until the day that this little baby is born. But notice there the last words of the angel there in, in verse 20. He says, you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Understand this, God had marked on his calendar before Elizabeth and Zechariah were ever born this day that would come. He had been listening to every prayer. He had heard every word. He had been moving in the events of the world, in the hearts of the rulers in power to bring both Zechariah and Elizabeth and Israel to this point in time. I want you to learn this and not forget this. God doesn't always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. But when he does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, it's what we would have wanted all along, even though we didn't know it. All of this is just a warm-up because this baby John 
is going to have a major function as the forerunner for that Messiah that was God's plan for the world and for my life and for your life to keep his promise to send the Savior not only once in a lowly manger to live a perfect sinless life and down a cross to redeem us. That's already taken place. But one day to come again and to rule and to reign over us. Keep waiting. Keep working. Keep watching. Because God is coming. Notice verse 26 down through verse 28. Six months after the angel's conversation with Zechariah, this takes place. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So here's Gabriel who's back again after six months. And there's one thing that you can know. If an angel ever shows up and, and talks to you, it's a good day. But if Gabriel shows up, you know it's going to be a great day. Uh, boy, does he ever have really good news for this young girl. Uh, verse 30 goes on to say, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This young girl who has never physically known a man, he says, you're going to have this baby. And so the promise here is even harder to believe than Zacharias. Here's this young virgin, a nobody from a nobody family, from a nobody town, and she isn't just going to have a baby. She's going to have the Messiah of the Jewish nation, the Savior of the world, the Lord of this universe, the King of kings who will rule over a kingdom that will never end. What a word from God to Mary. Because think about it. There hadn't been a king in Israel for over 600 years. The nation is now under the domination of the most powerful empire in the world, and now this, the womb of this poor peasant girl was going to become a palace that would give birth to the king of all kings, uh, the king of all kingdoms. It's only natural to ask the same question Mary asked that you read in verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, physi physiologically, we don't understand how this could happen. The angel gives, though, a theological answer in verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So, from a doctor's point of view, there's no explanation. But there's one explanation that ought to satisfy any doctor or any human being. Because notice what it says in verse 37. It says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. That one statement is the point of the entire story. It's what Christmas is really all about. That God can take nothing and create everything. 
He can take an old man and an old woman in their almost in their 90s here and give them a child. And God can take a virgin like Mary and give her the Messiah that the world uh, had been waiting for. Understand this, God can even take human flesh and come into the world as a man just like us and then die on a cross and rise from the dead. And because of that, God can forgive any sin because nothing is impossible with God. That's Mary's God. So when you're waiting in life through the troubles and through the trials, no matter how long the wait, never give up. You've been waiting, know this, God is moving. You keep working because God is listening. You keep watching because God is coming. You know what the name Zechariah means? His name means God remembers. God remembers every promise, every promise that he ever makes. God keeps every promise. He's always moving. He's always listening. And at the right time, he will show up and he will come to you and he will keep his promise. But then notice Mary's humility. You see this in verse 26 down through verse 38 and then again in verse 48. What made Mary most blessed and most favored wasn't just that she was the mother of the Son of God. It was also her incredible humility. See, God's people hadn't seen or heard anything, as we said, for those 400 years. And then to the least likely of people, in the least likely of places, at the least likely of times, God sends his angel to make that announcement. We're going to see over and over here how God uh, places a supreme value on this beautiful virtue called humility. Understand that God looks and is looking for in your life the presence of humility. Notice what verse 26 and verse 27 says again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, any Jewish person reading this or hearing this for the first time would have been astounded. Because remember, we said God hadn't spoken for 400 years, and now he interrupts the world's plans to bring this momentous message. But where does he do it? Not in Judea, which is the heart of, of God's work for hundreds of years. Not in Rome, which is the capital of the most powerful empire in the world. Not even in Jerusalem, the city which was the apple of his eye, if you will. But he announces it in a place called Galilee. Galilee was an area known as being where the lower class lived. Where in Galilee did this announcement take place? It takes place in Nazareth. Again, Jewish mouths would have dropped and heads would have shaken. The first time you ever hear about Nazareth is right here in Luke's gospel. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. You won't find it in ancient history because no one or nothing of importance ever came out of Nazareth. In fact, that's what was said about Jesus. No good could ever come out of Nazareth. Scholars have estimated that Nazareth may have had about 500 people at the most who lived there at any one time. Nazareth was the kind of town that you went through, not the kind of town that you went to. It was the headquarters for a garrison of Roman soldiers. Pagan temples had been built there for the worship of Roman gods. Many of the young girls there uh, were known to date and to fraternize and have relations with and even marry Roman soldiers to the disgrace of the Jewish people. 
The slogan of the day would have been, what happens in Nazareth stays in Nazareth. Nazareth had such a bad reputation, as we said. You remember when Nathaniel uh, said that Jesus was from Nazareth, he basically wrote him off saying, uh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So why in the world would God make the most momentous announcement in history in a place full of outcasts and a town full of paganism? Because he knew in that town was this little teenage girl that was humble enough for him to use. God doesn't look in places where we would look. Because God isn't looking for celebrities. He's not looking for numbers. He's looking for humility. That leads us to our second point here about Mary's humility is that God seeks people of humility. The first time we meet Mary, as an angel, here's this angel of God speaking to her. Mary's this young girl living in a poverty-stricken region here. She's engaged to a lowly carpenter. If you walked by this girl before this angel had spoken to her, you wouldn't have even given her a second look. She's an average young girl born to a lower-class lower family in a peasant town in a poor region of Israel, engaged to a minimum-wage carpenter. She's not some movie star. She's not a beauty queen. She's not part of the rich and famous or the up and coming. Here's this nobody girl living in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere face to face with an angel. And you wouldn't expect to hear those words in verse 28. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She's been just told that of all the women on the earth, she has a special favor with God, the special presence of God in her life. And you can certainly understand her response uh, down in verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In effect, Mary's looking at this angel and saying, you talking to me? Sure, you got to be talking to one of the others around here, not me. Mary could have understood if she had been a queen, she could have understood this announcement if she had been a princess or come from some wealthy family. But she wasn't royal and she wasn't rich. She has no fortune. She has no fame. And yet that's what makes the next verses even more amazing. Look at verse 30 down through verse 33 again. He says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give, him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It never occurred to her that she would have been the mother of God's son, the Messiah that had been promised. What a great picture here, though, of her humility. See, understand this. Humility is just not thinking higher of yourself than you should. It's really not thinking of yourself at all. Let's stop and think about it. Why did God's son come into this world through this, uh, through, through this young teenage girl in a culture that honored virginity and shame pregnancy outside of marriage. Beyond that, why would Jesus be born, not in the comfortable surroundings of a royal palace, but into a feed trough in a stable? Not to the rich and the famous and the powerful people, but to the people of the lowest socioeconomic class who had suffered the apparent shame of having a child out of wedlock. It's because God values humility. 
Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2 says this, All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, understand that people who get God's attention are not the proud It's the humble. They're not the people who see how high they can stand, but how low they can stoop. It's not the people who push to the front of the line. It's the people who are willing to go to the back and seek humility in their life. Then thirdly, notice about her humility also that God works through the power of humility. Read verse 34 with me, if you will. Again, we read this a while ago. It said, Mary has this question. How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. Now remember she's a Jewish uh, young woman. Uh, She's been to the synagogue, most likely to the temple. She's heard how prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel had foretold the coming uh, of the king who would reclaim Israel's throne. A king like no other king. He would be the Messiah. Now she's just been told that she's going to give birth not to just any little boy, not to just any king but to the one kind of king that everybody in the Jewish world has been looking towards, the king of kings, the Messiah. Ordinarily, you would think that that would just make your head swell. The mother of God's son, the promised Messiah, I mean, that would puff anybody's uh, mind up with pride. But here's, there's a big problem here. She's good to go, except she did have one seemingly little question there in verse 34. How will this be? Since I've never known a man. Mary may have been a young peasant girl, but she knew where babies came from and how they were made. And she knew that malicious gossip would follow her all the days of her life. She knew that this birth would would be a blessing that she would enjoy, but it would also be a burden she would carry to her grave. Knowing that the cost of this birth and the price that she would pay, notice what her response is down in verse 38. And Mary said... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When you read those words, you begin to see there the true greatness of Mary. That word servant refers to the lowliest kind of servant. It refers to somebody who would voluntarily sell themselves into slavery. It was the most humble act that a person could perform in that society. What was it, though, that made Mary such a great woman? Maybe the greatest woman who's ever lived. It was this statement in verse 38 that puts her at the top of the list. Truly speaking, humility means, that, uh, means obeying the word of God, doing the will of God, and fulfilling the work of God, that all of that is more important to you than anything else in life, including your own life. Humility means that there's one word that you have to remove from your vocabulary, and it's that word if, because if means that you're putting yourself first. When you say things like, I'll do this if it doesn't inconvenience me. I'll I'll serve if there's something in it for me. I'll give if I get what I want first. When that happens, humility's left the room. Humility has no ifs, it has no ands, it has no buts in its vocabulary. Mary became the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the greatest man who ever lived, but she didn't let it go to her head, it went to her heart. 
She never asks for the spotlight or the center stage. Here's what she says down in verse 48 for in, in this great song of praise that she sings. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary was called blessed because of her humility. But then notice finally Mary's worship in that song in verse 46 through verse 55. Mary did three things quickly that allowed God to use her and bless her in a way that she could have never dreamed of. And if we do those three things, then God can use us on a daily basis too. First, she decided to believe God's word. That's what's spoken of there in verse 38 down through verse 45 uh, as she went to visit Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose, went in haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her loom, and Elizabeth uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She decided to believe. So put yourself in, in her place there, illiterate, uneducated, in, in no sense a, a spiritual powerhouse. She's just a humble Jewish girl who loves God, who wants to get married, raise a family. She's never had relations with anyone, and now this angel tells her she's going to have a baby. She had questions about that, as we saw uh, back in verse 35. And God yet was able to use Mary in such a great and mighty way because she decided to believe God's word. That's what Mary's cousin said there. She understood that about her. If you look in verse 45, that's what she's saying. Understand this. If you're not experiencing the blessings of God in your life, and you would like to be, you would expect to be, and if God is who he says he is, then one of the problems, probably the biggest reason, is because in certain areas of your life, you're doubting God's word rather than deciding to believe God's word. When you decide to believe God's word, God opens the windows of heaven to bless you. We've got to decide to believe God's word. Notice also about her, she determined to do God's will. Understand this, talk is cheap. I, I can stand up here all day and say I'm humble, but if I'm saying I'm humble, I'm probably not. I'm having to point that out. It talks cheap. It's one thing to say you believe God's word, but the real test of whether you really do believe God's word is this. Are you determined to do God's will? You'll never achieve God's best for your life, God's greatest, and you'll never even fulfill God's purpose for your life until you come to the point that you want to do his will in your life more than anything else. That's another reason why God used Mary. She was determined to do his will. That's what verse 38 says. Behold, I am thy servant of the Lord. Go down to verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Those who fear him there means those who submit to him, those who obey him. It was it wasn't easy for Mary to say yes to God's will. She was having to give up her reputation in a community, a family, basically for the rest of her life and do what God asked her to do. She was risking everything. She was risking her parents. She was risking her friends. She was risking her fiancé because she had no idea how he's going to respond. Understand this. If you get serious about God's will in your life, not only are you not going to always understand what God's doing, but there are going to be people who will misunderstand, 
misjudge, and even criticize you. You have to come to the point in your life where you're determined that, uh, that, that you care more about what God thinks than what anybody else thinks, that you're ready and willing to do whatever he wants in your life. God's plan for your life, sometimes it's going to be harder than your plan for your life. You know, so often we want to take the easy way out. We just want to slide through life. You know why God sometimes does it the harder way? Because God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He wants to mature you. He wants to grow you. And finally, desire to prioritize God's worship. Notice her song. And Mary said, in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Notice there, she's prioritizing her worship. Her worship is focused on God. For as he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, for now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Those verses are the first Christmas song ever written. It's amazing. Mary's going to have a baby, even though she's never known a man. Her reputation's maybe going to be ruined. Uh, she's maybe going to lose her family, her friends, her fiancé. She may lose everything, but she... It's got every reason to be worried sick. But instead of worry, what does she do? She worships. Instead of panicking, she praises God. So when you get into a situation and you think you're in over your head, when you're following God's will, when things seem to maybe be getting dangerous and difficult by the minute, don't worry, worship. Don't panic, praise. When you get afraid, remember that for every problem, there's a promise, and for every promise, there's a provision. Mary, she wasn't blessed because of anything she did. She didn't worship God so she could receive mercy in return or, or somehow get grace from God. She worshiped God because she had already received that grace and that mercy. And the reason why Mary was chosen by God was simply by his grace. And that's the same for us, that because of grace, she found favor with God we too can find favor with God. The angel said, you are favored. That is, you have received God's grace. Elizabeth said to Mary, you are blessed because you believe. That's what we see in Mary, God's grace and her faith. And the question today is, Mary, did you know? Did you know that that little baby would be the savior of the world? The answer is yes. The angel told her, and she believed question for you today is, do you know? Do you know Mary's God? Do you know Mary's humility? Do you know Mary's worship? Are you ready to do what Mary did so that God can save you and use you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your blessings this morning. And thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the example and the life of Mary who humbled herself to become a servant and to follow Jesus. Lord, I don't know where every person is that's in this sanctuary spiritually. I don't know where everyone is who may be watching this service online, but Lord, you do. And so Father, I pray that if there are those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, may they come during this invitation to call out to you and say, dear God, I need Jesus as my Savior. I believe he died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, if someone's prayed something like that in their heart, may they come forward to publicly profess that faith and then to join this church and seeking to be discipled and following faithfully in the steps that you've told us to. And Father, there are those who are here this morning as believers that maybe they've realized this morning, my life isn't what it needs to be. And I need to recommit my heart and my life to you and to follow you. Lord, I, you have blessed us so much as believers. You have given us your grace that we did not deserve. You've shown your mercy toward us in not giving us what we did deserve. So Father, thank you for that. Help us to count it precious and to be sure to share this gospel message with those around us, especially at this time. Lord, where we have not, forgive us. Help us, Lord, to come to that place of repentance. May you change our hearts and change our lives. Maybe you're working in somebody's heart to come and to join this fellowship. Lord, whatever decisions need to be made this morning, may you be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Would you stand? Thank you. Just a, a couple of quick things, uh, announcements. Uh, we want to remember the family of Bertie Davis as she lost her brother this past week. Our condolences for you. Uh, Rogers, good to see you back after your foot surgery. And um, I'm sure there's some others out there with some special concerns. Uh, do want to mention that uh, 
or encourage you to sign up for a men's Bible study that's going to start up on January the 15th. It'll be held at 5 p.m. of the evening. So there is a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board, so I just encourage you to sign up for that. I think it's like a six-week session, something like that. And then other than that, uh, j just want to just read your bulletin where it's happening under at Highland. Uh, just as far as today, we've got the deacons meeting, and tonight we've got a business meeting. And prime timers, if you're planning on coming and haven't signed the list, there is a list on the bulletin board. And, of course, our adult choir is next Sunday night. And then uh, the Chosen concert is on Tuesday the 20th, and, and there's more, more announcements in the bulletin, so you can read those. But uh, a lot going on, and a uh, busy time of year. So, Anybody else have anything? that? Uh, uh, Wednesday night, I'm sorry. Yeah, Wednesday night, the, the Christmas party for Awana, 530 to 7.30, I believe, Linda. So, uh, otherwise, if you'll bow with me and join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we just thank you for the beautiful day you've given us. Just thankful, Lord, that we can come into your presence, come into your house to, to, to worship and, and fellowship. Lord, we're always thankful for the, the love that you give us, the blessings you provide us. Lord, we just ask to, to remember those that have lost loved ones in the, in the recent days. Just be with those families. Father, those that are going through difficult times or surgeries and uh, things like that. Just, just be with each and every one of them, Father. We ask that you be with uh, the special providers, the nurses, doctors, uh, a lot of sickness going around this time of year. Just, just be with each and every one of them. Uh, Father, we uh, just ask that you uh, continue to bless us. We're just grateful, Lord, for what you've given us here at Highland. Uh, and Father, we just love you and just thank you for all that you do. These things we ask in the precious name of your Son.